0: You're listening to The Revealer Podcast, where we explore how religion shapes our culture and our communities, produced by the Center for Religion and Media at NYU and hosted by Dr. Brett Crutch. Each month, we sit down with guests to discuss the role religion plays in people's lives, in our politics, and throughout our world. In today's show, we're talking about the business of yoga in America. Why has this tradition that originated in Southeast Asia become so popular, especially among whites in the United States? We're also going to discuss current yoga trends. How can yoga be used to help people heal from trauma? Should we take things like goat yoga seriously? And what is happening to the popularity of yoga in this age of social distancing during a global pandemic? Hi everyone, welcome to the second episode of The Revealer Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Brett Crutch. I'm very excited to be joined for today's episode by Dr. Srina Gandhi from Michigan State University. Dr. Gandhi is an expert on yoga in America. She wrote a great article for the April issue of The Revealer magazine about yoga trends. You can check it out at therevealer.org. And she is currently finishing writing a book on the cultural history of yoga in the United States. Hello, Srina, it's great to be here with you. How are you doing today?
1: I'm, I'm good, thank you. It's great to be here with you too.
0: Thanks. So I should probably admit something here at the start of our conversation about yoga, uh, and that's that I've never done yoga, Um, but I know people who love it, and I'm really curious to hear your thoughts about the massive yoga industry. So when I think about the people I know who swear by the benefits of yoga, they are almost all but not exclusively white, and many are white women. So I'm wondering first, is that an accurate stereotype that yoga has been Been somewhat co-opted by white people, and if so, um, why has yoga been so popular among whites in this country?
1: That is an accurate statement. I, I think about seventy-two percent of people who practice yoga in this country, according to the last Yoga Journal study, from what I remember, are women, and the vast majority of that. 72% are white women, and that's not an accident. When the first yogis came over from India to sell yoga, to missionize yoga, for lack of a better word, and to raise money for their institutions in India and also set up institutions here, they targeted white women. Uh, They targeted Hmm. Protestants. They said that Swami Vivekananda famously said, you can go to church on Sunday and, you know, reserve your yoga practice for the other days of the week uh, that it's complimentary to your Christianity. Yogananda said the same thing and they knew that they had a willing audience there. And I think part of it is that yoga is empowering. It uses your whole body. And I think white women at the turn of the century, we're looking for some empowerment, right? If you put that in the larger context of what hmm. white women were fighting for in terms of suffrage, in terms of their fashion styles, their hairstyles, you know, things were uh, changing in some really interesting ways at that time. And yoga was one avenue for some sort of empowerment in a very patriarchal huh. system, I think.
0: Interesting, interesting. So here in the in the in the 21st century, then, are there ways that you see that continuing that maybe yoga studios um, are more inviting to or some yoga studios are more inviting to white people than they are to people of color? Or um, have we moved to a better place in that regard?
1: I don't know that we've moved to a better place. I think some people are starting to talk about some of the inherent discrimination that occurs at some yoga studios and how it makes certain people of color uh, black and brown women in particular feel uh, left out or excluded or discriminated against so i think there are conversations going on between black and brown women trying to create alternative yoga spaces i would say the vast majority Mm -hmm. of yoga spaces in the us are still very white dominant upper middle class Um, And so while you're seeing more kind of accessible yoga and sliding scale yoga available, it's still, you know, uh, kind of on the margins, but something that, you know, is getting attention.
0: I also want to talk about um, some of the things that I really enjoyed in your article, which were some current yoga trends, uh, some of which to me seemed unconventional, some of which seemed really important. Uh, So let's start with what seems, at least on the surface, unexpected, and that's goat yoga. So, you know, I love baby goats like many people. Um, I've never seen one up close, though. So will you explain what is goat yoga and what's the point of combining goats with yoga?
1: Okay, so goat yoga is basically a yoga class that could take place on a farm or a park or sometimes indoors. And it's a basic, very low-impact yoga class with baby goats running around, coming up to you, snuggling, maybe climbing on top of you while you're doing a certain pose. And oftentimes afterwards involves hanging out with everyone snuggling with the baby goats and taking selfies with the baby goats as well (laughs) uh Uh, it's a very chaotic but from what people say a very enjoyable yoga experience and it's quite literally since 2015 just kind of mushroomed across the country and you know
0: so it's sort of like um, uh, I re- when I was in college, someone br- did a program on like puppy therapy, and someone brought puppies to the residence hall and we were all relieved from the stress of final exams by playing with puppies. So it sounds sort of like you know the cuteness of goats, then combined with the ways that yoga can also be used for stress relief. Uh, that they're being brought together is that it's sort of just meant to be a, and a further way of adding to the relaxation that yoga can provide some people.
1: Yes, exactly. I'm surprised that no one's had like a puppy yoga class to be quite honest. Um, (laughs) Or like a kitten yoga class. Although I don't know how cats are not necessarily (laughs) the most cuddly depending on the cat from what I understand. Um, So animals are therapeutic and, and you know, they're, they're someone to love, right? And so it makes mm. sense that yes. you have something like an animal-based yoga. I think what's interesting about the goats is they, they just seem kind of random and totally hipster, right?
0: <laughs> yes. So another yoga trend that um, I find uh, interesting and somewhat amusing is rage yoga. So could you explain for us what, uh, what rage yoga is?
1: From what I understand, there's no one rage yoga studio per se, but these rage yoga teachers rent out yoga studio space or they rent out space at a brewery or a bar. And hmm. take it over for an hour while you're doing your yoga. You drink and you mm-hmm. listen to heavy metal music, and you curse and you just yell and let all of that angst out. <laughs> and uh-huh. yeah, when I was uh, thinking about it and the way that they sometimes like use the tongue to like, you know what, you know when when sometimes when people yell they stick their tongue out and it was like a thing in in the 80s with heavy metal like rockers sticking their tongue out it kind of from yes i never understood it (laughs) i never fully understood either but from my kind of south asian hindu background it kind of reminds me of kali like sticking her tongue out and she is women's power or shakti kind of unleashed which The way women are treated, (laughs) of course, she's going to be a little Uh, angry. Like she's known for dancing on her husband, (laughs) you know, Ah. Um, subduing him and just, you know, trotting all over him. And so when I was watching some of this rage yoga take place, I was like this, the way they stick out their tongues, they're like letting all that stuff go because the world Mm. is frustrating. It makes us angry. And sometimes you just have to yell out into the ether and I think this rage yoga class provides that space for people to do that but also socialize and and get a couple drinks in and once you get a couple drinks and you feel a bit looser and a little bit more free to to kind of just let things go so yeah. it's um yeah. not your serene incense uh-huh. indian <laughs> sure. music dark lit yoga experience <laughs>
0: right right but a different outlet to process some emotions it sounds like right. or or release them i guess right one of the things that i really appreciated in your article for the revealer was how you highlighted that yoga is being used to help people with trauma trauma from sexual violence from fighting in war etc so um could you shed some light on how people are using yoga to help with trauma and and what is it about yoga that people find appealing as one approach to helping heal traumas
1: so trauma yoga has actually been around for from what i understand about 20 years but really in the last few Hmm. years has come into kind of more of a spotlight or focus and i don't know if it's because we're more open about talking about uh, certain types of traumas whether it's ptsd or sexual trauma um, You know, I mean, we've got this cultural moment of me too, that is still ongoing and hopefully will lead to some real structural changes. So I I think people are turning to yoga more to help heal the body beyond just conventional talk therapy. And, And therapy has always been a area and I want to distinguish therapy from psychiatry, right? Therapy, talk Mm. therapy has always been an area that's been open to using other tools in our culture to help the person who needs who's going through the therapy. So I'm thinking of things like art therapy. Um, We talked earlier about Mm. animal therapy. Horses have been used uh, for people healing from traumatic experiences or uh, who have, who are autistic for, for quite a while, right? And so it makes sense that in the therapy world, they would look to other things to see what could help a person heal. And the thing with yoga is that it is, it uses the entire body Right. When you're doing a pose, you're not only asked to align yourself in a certain way, but you're also asked to breathe in a certain way. Like when you're holding a pose to breathe in at a certain point and breathe out at a certain point, to be mindful of pulling your breath in and then pushing it out. And so it combines so many things. And I think people who have experienced trauma, are able to use yoga to bring their body back together because Mm. trauma uh, and by extension torture torture takes the body apart right and and puts you in a in a place where language no longer makes sense And I think that's Hmm. the case for people who are going through trauma as well. It's it's why so many rape victims say, I didn't have the ability to say no in that moment. Right. Right? Um, But they're able to remember certain smells and certain sounds very clearly, but they weren't able to to speak up. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. And then, you know, uh, you hear you hear certain similar stories from people who have been to war and come back and experience PTSD. They're not able to verbalize everything that they're going through. And they describe their body almost being kind of separated. And I think when you do something like yoga, you're kind of starting to bring your body back together. Hmm. Um, And it's been really helpful for people to be able to be in a space, and to pay attention to their body. And I think the other thing about trauma yoga that I find really important is that the teachers are trained not to touch the students. And you have a lot of cases that are coming up now, again, in the Me Too moment, where people are Speaking up about certain abuses that they had experienced at the hands of yoga teachers, touching them in a, in inappropriate ways, and if a yoga tra- a trauma yoga teacher were to do that, that would re re traumatize them. So the trauma yoga studio space is all about empowering the person to to make their own movements and not touching them as to re traumatize them.
0: That's also interesting. And I I mean, it just uh, I think uh, makes me uh, happy to hear you explain all of that because, um, you know, I think trauma needs, as you sort of started, multiple approaches to deal with it. So having this as yet another approach, especially for, um, you know, what can be done uh, for the body uh, sounds very powerful and helpful. I, I wanted to also ask you, as you were talking about trauma and and some of the things that uh, we started our conversation um, in the beginning about race, and and that is um, uh, if you're seeing yoga being used to help people of color in this country uh, deal with the trauma of racism. Is that also something that yoga has been used to address?
1: Yes, I'm, I'm seeing small pockets of this um coming up because racial trauma like any other trauma uh takes away language takes away the ability of the person to sometimes describe what's happening a lot of times when people describe race r- sorry not race racism uh they say we know it when we see it but we can't always describe it
0: mm-hmm.
1: right and there are people out there using yoga to kind of create a healing space around racial trauma and you know, examine that in a safe, nuanced way, combining not just the, the-, the theory of racism, but also the feeling of it through yoga.
0: Mm.
1: Just one other interesting thing is that there are also white anti-racist yoga teachers using yoga to Critically self examine themselves in terms of their role in whiteness and white supremacy. Sure. So, you know, this is a whole area that it's one of these watch the space moments, right? Because goat yoga is super trendy and cute, and rage yoga is, you know, <laughs> uh-huh. again, something trendy that can be, you know, makes for a good pop culture article. But this area of racial trauma and healing from and examining and maybe even dismantling white supremacy, yoga being used for that um, is something that I think will really take off in the next few years as people start to think about racism in a more nuanced way. And if anything has come come about from 2016, I hope that people start to see racism beyond just individuals Mm -hmm. actions right that it's something that's more systematic and uh something that we all play a role in that we all benefit from and that we all also uh suffer from so
0: that's great all right so (laughs) we will know to to keep watching for more about uh uh, how yoga is being used for racial trauma and other traumas um so i guess then given the you know where we're having this conversation uh, and we've talking about these interesting and 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 um, uh, exciting opportunities with yoga. Uh, You and I happen to be having this conversation as most of us are engaging in social distancing to prevent further spread of the novel coronavirus. Uh, Mm -hmm. And I'm sure most yoga studios are closed for now. Um, So what would you say for listeners who are interested in practicing yoga? What can they do during this time of social isolation?
1: Well, I mean, you're right. All the yoga studios are closed. They're, at least here in Michigan, they're not deemed an essential business. (laughs) So the governor has shut it down. And so yoga studios at the end of the day are are businesses. And um, I think not all of them will survive uh, this moment of physical and social distancing. And they're coming up with innovative ways to keep their business going and so here in Lansing there are a few yoga studios that are offering live stream classes that you can enter uh, for like ten dollars or fifteen dollars or some are on more of a sliding scale hmm. and if you're interested look up your yo- your local yoga studio yeah and they they might be having classes and that's one way that you could help a local business sustain itself during this time um, there've always been online, yoga classes but uh usually they're kind of pre-recorded and uh these ones I from what I'm understanding and what I've experienced so far are more live stream um the other thing is that there are some yoga teachers that are a little bit um hesitant about this because uh they feel that it's losing that kind of community aspect and also especially certain yoga teachers who are in like a certain tradition like Iyengar are very focused on alignment and getting the right alignment Mm. using various props and everything. So they're actually talking more about doing kind of individual yoga classes and that might not be sustainable per se in terms of a business model, but they feel like it's a better way to connect with the student and also make sure that the student is getting the most out of it other than just like kind of a big class with no kind of individual attention. So I would just check with your kind of local studio and see what they're doing I've seen a ton of yoga classes on Instagram live as well (laughs) recently, uh, which seems a little bit more chaotic. Like it's one thing to listen to a DJ and dance around in your room with (laughs) a thousand people or more. It's quite another thing I think to do a yoga class, but um, you know, it's, it's one of those moments of whatever works best for you because Mm. this is such a new, different time and we have to be so patient and we just have to be, at home <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you right. know so uh, uh we don't really have much of a choice so take this time to kind of explore and see what works best maybe an instagram live yoga class would work really well for you or maybe you have a yoga teacher locally that would be willing to do something one-on-one but i don't think there'll be goat yoga for a while there was <laughs> one farm that like live streamed its goats recently and you could like look at the goats but My guess is it's not as fun looking at goats as it is like cuddling with goats.
0: Right, right. Well, that's good. I mean, those are all helpful options, I think, for people um, during this, right, as you you, um, describe as we get used to this as our normal for now and coming up with plans that work for all of us. Well, thank you for all of this helpful and interesting information. I'm sure our listeners appreciate your expertise. That's all the time we have for today. I'd like to thank our guests, Dr. Shrina Gandhi, and as always, our production editor, Anna Donch. If you'd like to explore more on this topic, please check out therevealer.org. I'm Brett Crutch. I hope you'll join us for our third episode next month. In the meantime, I hope you stay safe and healthy. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Revealer Podcast with music by Kevin McLeod and production editing by Anna Donch. If you want to get in touch with us, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at therevealerpodcast at gmail.com and check us out at therevealer.org.